Welcome to Creativity School. This is the podcast all about how to tap into your creativity and get your greatness out of you and into the world. I'm your host, Grace Chan, and each week we'll get lessons on how to start the thing you've always wanted to start and learn the tips and strategies you need for how to be awesome at it. If you're one of those people that feels a calling to do something, make something, or be something more, if you want to start shining your light and share it with the world, this is the show for you. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 10 of Creativity School. Wow, we are officially in the double digits and the show is nearly, it's almost two months old now and I can't believe how fast time is flying by. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? It's almost spring, you guys. That's nuts. Hope you guys had an awesome week. I just got back from a really quick two-day trip to Kansas City. I did a bunch of meetings at ad agencies. I ate a lot and I slept very little. Now I'm back. Gonna get this show out by Monday. Just a day in the life of a busy person, which I know you guys can all relate to. And today's episode with my guest, Natalie Basha, is so good. Natalie is a Webby-nominated journalist with a beat in travel and human interest stories. So basically, she has a dream job. She works for a media company called Circa News, and she gets to travel around the world telling really amazing stories about people and the places that they live in. Her stories on the regular go viral. I mean, I'm talking millions and millions of views on very many of the videos she posts. I mean, one video has 70 million views on it alone. And it's such a great talk because it's really interesting talking to somebody who creates something that connects so deeply with people and travels so far and wide on the internet. So we talk a lot about, first of all, her journey. How did she get to this really cool dream job? Her story to getting to this job is fascinating, and she shares about how she went from TV news to starting her YouTube channel to working in a dental office. I mean, the things that she did to make her dreams come true, so inspirational. And then we start talking about the actual content that she makes and her intention behind the work that she creates, because I know it is this very clear intention that she has behind every video that she makes that allows her videos to connect and resonate with masses of people consistently. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear what that is. We also talk about virality and going viral and the motivation people have to go viral and making content with the purpose of going viral. That's something that's pretty common these days, and we get her perspective on that. And something that comes up a lot on this episode is her advice for how to make your dreams happen. She has very clear, good advice on this, and she's used it herself to create this incredible job for herself as a travel journalist at Circa News. This was not a position that existed. She made that happen for herself. And she also shares how her fiance, Dr. Evan Anton, who is a hugely popular guy on Instagram, I think he's got like a million followers at this point, he just launched his brand new show on Animal Planet called Evan Goes Wild. And Natalie and Evan both, they did something very, very consistent throughout their careers to make these incredible dreams happen. And she shares what that is on this show. 
I love this conversation with Natalie. If you are interested at all in becoming a content creator or learning how to create stories that connect with people or just learning how to make things that resonate with an audience, this is an interview you have to listen to. I know Natalie because she actually did a story on me for Circa News and I spent a day with her filming for this really cute video she did about my career as a photographer, but I found out so much stuff about her that I did not know. I admire her so much. I admire her tenacity. I admire her strength. And I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hi, Natalie. Thank you so much for joining me today on Creativity School. Oh, awesome, Grace. I'm, I'm so excited to be here. I'm a huge fan of your work, so I was honored to be asked to do this. Oh, I am such a huge fan of your work, and I'm just excited to have you on because you literally have a dream job where you get to travel around the world and tell stories about fascinating people, but you also create something from your heart and soul that is connecting with millions upon millions of people. And I'm just so happy we get to talk today about how you do this and the journey you took to get to this point. So the first question I always start off with is, what did you want to be when you grew up? I actually didn't have any one thing that I wanted to be when I was growing up as a kid, at least. I was really into ballet and I was a ballet dancer for many years. And I, for a time, thought I was going to be a, a professional ballet dancer. But it was funny. My mother is the one that was always like, you're going to be a journalist. And I guess she just figured because I was always good at speaking on camera. I never like clammed up. I was always very curious about people's stories. And she just, she called it. I don't know. She was just like, you're going to be a journalist. And then of course, in my teenage years, and I was feeling very rebellious about it. When I got into college, that's not at all what I initially went after. I actually dropped out of community college for a time and then went and got my real estate license. No way. Yeah, it was just like, I kind of resented that like my mom had already mapped that out for me. And so before actually committing to journalism and journalism school, I got my real estate license and I was working for like a firm here in LA. And it was short-lived because it turns out I'm terrible at real estate. And I, and I actually, like, my talents really are in journalism. So I eventually turned back to it. But it's funny. It's like I, throughout my childhood, I didn't have any, one thing I wanted. My mom was telling me what I should do. I tried to rebel and I ended up doing exactly what my mom wanted me to do. <laughs> that is so funny. How old were you when she called it? Oh, I was like 13. Oh my gosh. 13. That's so funny. Mother's intuition. Yeah. It's interesting because I often think something very similar about myself because my parents pushed me so hard to go into science and be a doctor. And I mean, I did it. But then as I got older in college, I realized this is not what I want to do. I want to be creative. And I want, I'm so curious. I have all these things I want to explore. And now that I'm older, I often think there really is a big intersection between science and curiosity and creativity. And I feel like 100%. if my mom, yeah, right. And I feel like if my mom had had not pushed me so hard down this one path and told me that's the only thing I could be, like maybe I would have actually enjoyed being a scientist. So funny how our natural inclination is to kind of want to rebel against what our parents want us to do. Oh, totally. Right? I mean, to their credit, I think parents know you more intimately than anybody else in the world. And they're able to recognize what your strengths are before obviously you can. So I just wish there's a way you could, you could tell your, like, that's what I would tell my younger self. Like, don't let your stubbornness get in the way of your self. Your mom was right. There's a reason why they say the things that they say. You know, she saw she saw the, the things in me that would make 
me a good journalist. And similarly, I'm sure your mom saw the things in you that would have made you a good doctor or someone in the medical field with that same kind of curiosity. You can approach anything with a creative eye. It is so true. And that really is a big part of this show is we talk about how creativity is not just limited to art or theater or music. I I really define it purely as human expression. And we all express in such different unique ways. And that's creativity. But you have such an awesome job now. Can you tell us about how you got to this point? Yeah. So it's a long story. I'll try and give it like in in the nutshell, condensed version. So once I actually decided to stop being a rebel. And I went to journalism school. I went to University of Colorado Boulder. I got my degree in broadcast news. And kind of immediately after I graduated, I came back here to LA, was born and raised here. I got a an agent. And the agent was trying to push me into like entertainment news reporting. And I tried it for a time. It was never something that I wanted to do. But because I had an agent who was pushing me that in that direction, funny, so many people are pushing me in like different directions, but mm. she was pushing me into entertainment reporting. And I, I just did not feel fulfilled in that whatsoever. You know, I was doing stories about like Kim Kardashian's lip gloss and stuff like that. And I, I remember thinking, this cannot sustain me for an entire career. This is not it. So with my agent, we looked for other opportunities. And the first thing that I really got like that was a true job job in broadcasting was working for a, a lifestyle show in Dayton, Ohio. And I was the executive producer and co-host of this brand new show they were building up off the ground, which is called Living Dayton. It still exists today. And it's kind of like the Today Show, but localized for that particular market. And I was hired having really no experience in A, live TV, because I hadn't actually done reporting in that sense. I was It was all like pre-recorded stuff for entertainment and writing and editing and story hunting. Like that's where I really cut my teeth. Mm. which was such a cool trial by fire experience because it was live. You're live every day from noon to one and you're like flubbing on air and having the whole town can see your brain farts, (laughs) which was such a weird experience. But from there, I moved to CBS, reporting for CBS in San Diego, which was a really tough job because it was on the morning show. And morning really in news, morning really means waking up at 2 a.m. and going live at 4 430. So I had to shift my whole life basically around that job, which became very isolating. And I didn't last very long in that environment. My circadian rhythm got all messed up. Even though I liked the work I was doing, that wasn't sustainable either. I read somewhere that you said you burned out of TV news. Is that why just that schedule was so unsustainable? Or was there more to it than that? It was largely that schedule. TV news even though I wasn't a hard news reporter, I was their features reporter. It's not an incredibly creative space. You're given a limited amount of time to do everything. So, you know, we would be filming out in the field and then we would have an hour to turn a package around and get it to the station. In that process, there's just not a lot of room for creativity. And so I knew doing it that I would eventually get out of it. But I didn't think that it was only going to take six months for me to burn out. You know what I mean? Like I thought it would be like a several year process. But literally within six months, I burned out A, on the schedule primarily. Try waking up at two o'clock in the morning every single day and going to sleep at five. Nobody else is doing it. Pretty much you and your colleagues are your only company. It's, It's tough. And then just I was like, I'm not getting enough of my creative muscles flexed in order to make this worth it. So I burned out real fast. And then what did you do after that? So I walked out of that job. Like I just quit. I had no plan, really. I, I just turned in my notice and left and was felt very lost and confused and upset and felt like there's nowhere to go but down from here. 
And then at this time, digital was really emerging as the leader in media and content and stuff like that. And I had also previously been traveling, like I, Evan and I had been traveling for about seven years. Like we were and really Evan, into, Evan is my fiance, um, but we'd been traveling for like seven years. And I had all this backlog of content because we took some like real adventure trips. Like it wasn't just like, let's go to Europe and have fun. Like we, we went into the jungles. We had all these crazy adventures together and it was all on tape, but it was just sitting around. So I thought, you know what? I love travel. I love journalism. I love telling stories and I love editing and writing and all that's good stuff. Why don't I take what I have just sitting around and repurpose all that footage and brand myself as a travel journalist? So that's essentially what I did. I walked out of CBS and within a few weeks, I had the concept, the basis for the travel muse. And I started with my footage from Vietnam. That was the very first thing I ever cut for the travel muse. And I just created a YouTube and I created an Instagram and a logo and a style and a feel and, and kind of like a what I wanted to give out to the world. You know, I, I set all that on paper for myself and then went out and cut these episodes of the Travel Muse. And that was a, a three year process. What did you have on that paper? Like, what were your goals that you wrote down? Do you remember? I don't remember specifically, but it was something like travel the world and tell stories that highlight travel from a human perspective. That is so interesting because that's like exactly what you're doing now. <laughs> it is. And that's something that I've learned over the years in this industry. If you want a goal to happen, you kind of have to have it super crystallized. Like it's got to be formed, nebulous, unformed goals that you can't really define in a very clear sentence almost never come true. Like you have to have a very defined goal. And you did that for three years, you said. Yeah. So I was doing the travel muse for three years and no one was paying me for it. You know, I was just coming up with these concepts and repurposing this footage. And Evan and I were still traveling to new locations and I would film those adventures and put them out on the travel muse. And slowly, I mean, it was a very slow process it slowly got to a point where I started to kind of be recognized or not recognized, but necessarily like seen. People started to see me as a travel journalist. I always call this my fake it till you make it moment because <laughs> people would ask me like, what do you do? And I would say, I'm a travel journalist and my brand is the travel muse. And in a sense, it was not entirely true because I, nobody, I wasn't doing it for anyone. I was doing it for myself and I wasn't making my money that way. I was just putting that energy out there for it to eventually become true. And it, it took about three years of doing that before I jumped to my current job, which is at Circa, in which I am a travel journalist for real, like on staff and everything. So I have a couple questions about this story. So you said you weren't getting paid for it. So let's just be really frank. How were you making a living during that time? I was not getting paid for it. And so I had to go get a part-time job at a dental office. I had to pay my bills. Mm -hmm. So I was working at a dental office three days a week. Looking back on it now, I don't know how I did that because it was like minimum wage. I don't know how I paid my bills, but I somehow did. And then the other days of the week, I was writing and editing content for the Travel Muse. But yeah, I had to get a, I had to get a job at a dental office, which was hard for me to swallow at first. Like, I'll be totally honest because, you know, I, I was sitting there thinking like, I have a four-year degree in broadcast news. I was just working for CBS in San Diego, which is one of the top markets. And now I'm at a dental office. And that wow. was really hard for me. But at that point, I had to be committed to the travel muse and to this new path because I didn't have anything else. So I just bit the bullet and made my money at the dental office. I love that you did that and that you just shared this because I never knew this about you. And that hustle that you had and commitment that you had <laughs> toward building the travel muse 
you know, you sucked it up and you got a job because you had to pay the bills and it was a job that you never would have even imagined you'd be doing, but you had bigger, clearer goals and you were so committed to it. I really admire that. And you said something else too, where you just declared yourself a travel journalist. And I have a lot of experience with people messaging me like, how do I become a pet photographer like you, Grace? And some people might not like this advice, but I'm just like, literally go get a camera, make a website and call yourself a pet photographer. That's it. Like you just call yourself it. <laughs> right? People ask me that, like, how do I want to be a travel journalist like you? How do I start? What did you do? Yada, yada. And I'm like, honestly, just do it. Nobody handed me this. I had to create the opportunity for myself. So if you want to be a travel journalist, A, figure out your own voice, number one. But, but B, you have to just take the initiative and start it yourself. Get a camera, start filming things, start writing it, start editing it, know all the ins and outs, and just do it. No one's going to come with a magic wand and be like, I grant you the wish of travel journalists or the wish of being a pet photographer. You have to make your own way. That's such good advice. I love it. And you just said you have to figure (laughs) out your own voice. How did you start doing that for yourself? Yeah. And I say that specifically because I think the travel space and especially journalism is so saturated. There's so many people out there doing it that it's really easy to try to imitate somebody else. And I think a lot of people fall into that trap when they start, like, you know, like Casey Neistat, I think a lot of people go out there trying to be Casey Neistat or replicate his style. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of the other YouTubers or vloggers or whatever you want to, you know, journalists out there. I always tell people you're never going to get anywhere trying to imitate the style or voice of someone else because that's already been done. Hard truth here, you're not going to do it as good as that other person because that's their voice. And I honestly, it took me a little while to find my voice. If you look at videos from the Travel Muse three, four years ago, they do not look anything like what I do now. And partly that's because I just, you know, I honed my skills and I just got better at it. But my focus is different today than it was a few years ago. And so it's, you just, again, goes back to just going out and doing it. You won't find your voice until you start doing it. You just have to exercise that muscle. And then all of a sudden the muscle starts to grow. And then you can be like, ah, that's my voice. And, you know, it's interesting because I feel like when you just start doing this stuff, your voice naturally starts coming out. Like the more you do stuff and the more you start tapping into, well, I really like this video I did or I really like this photo I did and I like the lighting style in this one. I'm going to try that again next time. You know, like for me, that's how I found I started developing my own visual voice. Totally. Totally. You know, if when you just start out and you're green and you haven't really gotten your feet too wet in the industry and the work that you're doing you can't define the voice. It's a, it's a process of discovery. Uh, once you start doing it and once you start seeing what resonates, it's like a puzzle piece. It's a piece of the puzzle. It starts to, it falls, it clicks in. But you're never going to develop what that puzzle piece even looks like until you're doing the work. Yes, you have to just start. And so you did your Travel Muse YouTube page for three years. I saw you're up to 20,000 subscribers. Am I really? Yes. Last time I looked, it was like just a little bit short of that. <gasps> Yes. I mean, it's like about, I'm approximating, yeah. but yeah, really close to 20. And I'm like, how did you do that? That was purely just by putting up stuff that I felt I was passionate about and and caring about the quality of it. And that was a totally organic grow. I, I didn't do anything in particular. And I think that really speaks to like, again, finding your voice and doing the things that, that matter to you because that reads, that comes across if you really care about what you're doing much like your photography, like people can feel the warmth in your photography and the care that goes behind it. So similarly, when you're watching a video, you put your passion and really try your best. 
I mean, that's just how I did it. Like I, I tried to be smart about the places that I went to and how I portrayed those places. And the audience just found me. I wish I had a better answer for that because this is kind of like the million dollar question of like, how do you build a digital audience? Just be really passionate about it and put your best foot forward. Like I never put anything on the travel muse that I'm not proud to put out there. That's the best answer to say, Natalie. I love that answer. And I think that's really the perfect, okay, yes, I think that's the perfect <laughs> answer. And then, so your YouTube page was really your place where you got to call yourself a travel journalist. And then you said that led to your mm-hmm. actual real job of being a travel journalist at Circa News. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? Going into like year three of the Travel Muse, I, I was really getting to a place where I was like, I need, I need to make money. I don't want to work at the dental office anymore. So I was, you know, on the job boards, hunting, looking for things that might fit what I want to go towards. Of course, travel, the thing with travel journalism is it's not, I don't want to say it's not a real thing, It's, but it's a very, very specified part of journalism. It's so niche and there are a lot of companies that just don't have that. So even though I was finding roles for journalists, you know, just straight journalists, lots of journalist roles in other companies, I wasn't finding exactly what I wanted. Then I came across an article about this little startup called Circa, Circa News, that was rebranding from an app into a news website, and they were in the process of hiring journalists. So I just kind of shot in the dark, found the chief, the CEO of Circa News, sent him an email, and specifically said in my, in my email, I was like, I am a travel journalist. I'd love to talk to you about perhaps running the travel vertical on your new website. And within a month, he was in LA, we were having dinner, and I got, I got offered the job pretty much at dinner. Wow. Uh, within a month of sending that email. But what's important is like, it wasn't a thing on his website. It was just, he was just hiring journalists. So I, again, had to like kind of advocate for myself and make the travel journalist thing a thing. It wasn't a thing. Like I, I had to ask for that and create it. So I am noticing a very consistent theme about you as you're speaking about yourself. And it's oh, that you, that? you're extremely tenacious. You. Oh. <laughs> you see an opportunity and it seems like no hesitation. You're like, I'm going to go for it. Were you always like that as a kid even? No, I wasn't. I was really, really, really shy. And I, I think I let fear lead me a lot when I was a kid. But something happened, I think around in my 20s, I made the decision that I wanted to be my own person and I wanted to be able to take care of myself and I wanted to enjoy what I what I do. And I, I kind of made the decision to pull myself out of my shell. Mm. And so I went the other way, basically, where I, whereas as a kid, I barely spoke to people that I didn't know. Now I'm an adult, and I still work on this, but I'm an adult, you know, who's I made the decision to be that way. But then how did you actually do it? Because I think actually being a very shy, reserved person, you don't just overnight become the strong vocal person you are now. Like what were yeah. those actual steps you started doing? Small things, you know, I'm the kind of person, if I have a goal, it has to be small bite size steps to make it happen. So I would, I would challenge myself to talk to the person who was doing my coffee, you know, talk to the barista, give a compliment to somebody in an elevator or just on the street. I was so shy that I didn't do those things naturally. I was like, you just have to start talking to people. Just like, (laughs) just like, put yourself out there. Like, who cares? You can, if you say a compliment and they don't respond, whatever, just say it, just challenge yourself to these tiny little things. 
these bite-sized goals where where you're just like I'm just like challenging myself to go out into the world and just be more interactive on a daily basis and that kind of built my confidence up to the point where I was where I was able to be a much more tenacious person just in nature if that makes sense that makes perfect sense and it's great advice I talk about taking little baby step bite-sized goals all the time you know, like if your goal was too big and unattainable, you would never be able to start. Like I say, it feels like a canyon, right? So really totally. making it tiny, like let me just make conversation with the barista at Starbucks. That's really how you move forward. So thank you for sharing that. And now today you are at Circa News and you're a, a travel journalist. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So I, I explain it in this way. So it's more like I'm a journalist with a beat in travel. And in the journalism world, when you say beat, that's a specialty. So first and foremost, I'm a journalist, but I travel for my work and I find my stories based on what's trending in destinations or themes within travel. But my goal that I've given myself, and, that, and I think this is why my work resonates, is that I tell stories about destinations or the world through the people that live there. It's not simply like Portugal's the next hot destination. Let's go see the food and drink scene. But it's like, okay, Portugal's trending right now. What's happening on the ground? What are the people doing? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? What are the issues that matter to them that shapes the society that makes it such an interesting place to visit as a tourist? We talk a lot about on this show about creating work that has an emotional connection. And mm -hmm. I feel like that's exactly what you're doing. You're not just making this flashy, beautiful travel piece. You're finding the people, like you said, on the ground who are making that place special. Oh, well, good. I'm glad it's coming across that way because that's totally, my, <laughs> that's totally yeah. my goal. It's totally what you're doing. I see it. That's kind of the trick with journalism to get an audience, especially in this landscape, like we're scrolling so fast and there's so much content out there. You have to do something with your storytelling that's going to give the audience a connection. And really, the, the best way we connect as humans is connecting with other humans. You can look at a beautiful landscape, but what's the connection there for a, a, like a long-term connection? But when you hear the, someone's story and you can see their emotion in their face and you can have some kind of empathy for what they're talking about, that really sucks people in. Yeah, and I think that applies to any creative medium, whether it's a movie, yeah. whether it's a piece of art, whether it's a photo, a song, a cupcake, you know, there is something 100%. in there yeah, that draws people to that. And you sort of spoke to this briefly, but by the way, listeners, I know Natalie because a few years ago, she did a story on me. Yes. <laughs> <And> <laughs> when I first got your email, I was like, oh my God, I can't do this. This is just terrifying. But I'm so glad I did it because I got to meet you. It was a great experience. And I loved, loved, loved the piece that you did. It was Oh, really good. <laughs> Thank you. That was such a fun piece to shoot because you have a dream job too. And I yeah. was like, by hook or by crook, I'm going to make, I'm going to do this story with this woman because this is so awesome what she does. Yeah. Your video is basically like, this woman has a dream job as a pet photographer. Yeah. I'm so curious, you know, you're finding such, such, uh, what's the word? Like you're finding these really wonderful people in these very big places. How are you actually finding them? Like, what are you doing? I just saw you did yeah. a story in Georgia, in, in the country Georgia, with this elderly woman who's making cheese. Like, how do you find people like that? <laughs> so that's actually the hardest part of my job is story hunting and doing the research. When you're not in a country, you're not on the ground, it's the biggest challenge to find the people. 
and to find like, not just the stories, but like to find the nuggets that you look at and you're like, okay, I can develop that into an interesting story. Nine times out of 10, those nuggets don't go anywhere. So I have just gotten used to reaching out to random people. First of all, I, I look on websites and blogs and publications and vloggers and Instagram I scour because that's where you find the seeds. And then you just start making connections. The best stories that I've gotten were from finding a random person, let's say on Instagram, and I message them and we have a little conversation and they say something that sounds like, you know, maybe I can develop the story from what they've just said in this message. Then they connect me to somebody else who then connects me to somebody else. And then I start doing research on what these people are telling me. It's like a scavenger hunt mm. is like a really good way to describe it. And then because of my work as a journalist, like what we do is we use people called fixers. So especially for international shoots, like that Georgia story, I had to find a woman who was a fixer and they are basically, I explain them like facilitators. They're the local expert. I'm going into their home. They know the language. They know the people. And I hire them basically to be my eyes and ears in the country where I really don't know anything. And it was my work with her, my fixer in Georgia, like I was just having conversations with her every day and she would mention little things here and there about what really makes the culture tick. And she was the one who really connected me to that old woman that makes cheese. And that was just through so much word of mouth and like following the longest scavenger hunt. I mean, that was months of finding that. How did you find the fixer? There's networks. There's you, there's like, mm. there's um, journalists have like groups on Facebook or like email chains and you, you just kind of put feelers out there and you say like, hey, I'm, I'm doing a, a shoot in Georgia or Italy or wherever it is that you're going. And it's all word of mouth again. That's how this whole industry works. And so people who've been to Georgia in the past, like responded to me and said, oh, I work with this woman and she also has a friend who's really good. They're both really good. So here's the email address. And then you just kind of reach out. That's the whole, this whole industry runs off of word of mouth and connections. Well, it's a good thing you came out of your shell instead of talking to that barista at Starbucks, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's been a hard job. You get nowhere. You get nowhere yeah. if you don't talk to people. Do you have a dream story that you want to cover? Oh, I have so many stories that I want to cover. So one of my favorite places in the world is Spain. And when I was in Spain, I heard that outside of Spain, the number one country that has like the most flamenco, you know, like the dance schools, flamenco mm -hmm. schools is Japan. That is random. <laughs> I never would have guessed that. Nobody would guess that. And that's exactly the kind of thing that I love to cover where, where it's because it's, that's telling the story of two cultures blending. And I think that's, you know, the whole world is about cultures blending and people appreciating somebody else's culture. So that's to me like that was so fascinating. And I don't know when or where, but I just have a feeling that that's going to be a story that I cover. But in general, things like that, that are the intersection of culture and travel and like where people are meeting and appreciating and celebrating somebody else. I love stuff like that. But yeah, that Japanese flamenco thing was crazy. Well, I can't wait till you do that story because I'm going to watch that. And I think you just said a really interesting word. You called out the word intersection. And I find, you know, if we're going to tie this back to creativity, mm -hmm. a lot of the best creative ideas happen when you intersect two worlds that don't necessarily belong together. And oh, then totally. they come together and it's like, oh my God. And that's just like with flamenco in Japan or like when bakeries started putting bacon on maple donuts. 
A hundred percent. Yes. I actually just did a story that's a great example of this. I did a story about Hula being taught in San Quentin State Prison. How I arrived at that story was because I was doing what I thought was going to be a piece on the appropriation of Hula culture in pop culture. Um, I wanted to tell a story about Hawaiian culture. And so I found this teacher who was you know, really innovative with his hula teachings. And I went up to San Francisco, I filmed his performances, and I'm doing this interview with him. And in the interview, he mentions that he also teaches hula in San Quentin State Prison, which for anybody who doesn't know, that's a really tough prison. It's like notorious for having some like real hardcore criminals in there. Isn't that where Scott Peterson is? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Scott Peterson is in San So that should tell you something about like the landscape of this place. It's not like um, an easy prison by any means. But he goes in this prison and he teaches hula. And, and in the interview, he said this so nonchalant. I was like, Ho- wait, hold on. Go back. What did you just say? And it was one of those moments where I'm like, oh, my God, this is totally to what you, what you just said, the intersection of two worlds that don't necessarily belong together. But the combination of it is is this like creative bomb of culture and appreciation. And so I took that seed of what he said in that interview, and I turned the whole story around. Everything changed. It became about his work in San Quentin. And it turned into this incredibly moving, beautiful, emotional story that celebrates Hawaiian culture, but also gives a voice to people, you know, some of these inmates at at San Quentin who are practicing hula. That's such a great best case scenario example of two worlds intersecting and coming together in creativity and appreciation. I love that you shared that particular video because I shared that in the Facebook group that I have for this podcast. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did because I loved that story for the reasons you just described. It was so unexpected, so beautiful, seeing the juxtaposition of these big men doing the hula Um, and just the redemption in the story too. Just the idea of, I think this might have been said in the video, like in prison, you have to wear this tough guy mask. Yeah. And I just love that these men allowed themselves to be vulnerable and learn this very beautiful spiritual practice. It was one of those stories where it stopped me in my tracks for that very reason. I think that's where journalism does the best service to the community and just society in general, where you can make someone stop in their tracks and think differently about a person or a culture. It was such a whoa moment that I knew I had to I knew I had to develop that into like a real story. What do you think makes somebody a good journalist in the first place? I think an undying curiosity really is is at the root of all journalism and journalistic work. Without having an undying curiosity, you you wouldn't develop those seeds. If I wasn't a very curious person, I would have just kind of blown over that comment that he made in the interview. And I would I would have just gone on and done the story that I initially set out to do, which was a beautiful story. It would have been a great story about Hula, but I wouldn't have gotten the story about Hula being in San Quentin. And I think that's the difference in just journalism and then true storytelling is to have that real undying curiosity to go look on the other side of things, develop tiny little hints that people give you and go to the places that just aren't being talked about. I love that you just said that because everything you just said specifically also ties to just being a creative person. Those are all such Mm -hmm. great best practices for just to be a good creative person. Totally. I mean, creativity is curiosity. I really think. Absolutely. It really is. Yeah, they're synonymous. Creativity is curiosity. Curiosity is creativity. You know, it's it's what drives a creative person. What's this going to look like? What's this going to sound like? What's this going to feel like if I do this, if I move this here, or if I just change this lighting? Or if, what's it going to look if, like if I do, do this 
camera angle a little bit differently. That kind of thing really like is the driving force behind creative work. It is. And I also think that it is you being the person behind the camera that is drawing out these stories that you're getting. What do you think allows you to connect with people that you're interviewing? What are you doing? Are you doing anything like even that you're aware of? I guess it's not anything that I consciously do. People have told me that I'm I'm easy to talk to in interviews. A lot of people get really scared when I put the camera in their face, you know, <laughs> because so many people don't like talking on camera. And I've been told that I make it easier just by being genuinely curious. I guess there are things that I do. Let me revise that answer because I guess there are things that I consciously do. I always make eye contact and I listen mm. to what they say. I, ne- I never go into an interview with, with pre-written questions because I feel like if you have pre-written questions, then as they're talking, you're breaking eye contact and looking down at the paper and you start getting a little bit more concerned about getting to question number two and question number three rather than listening to what they're saying and going off of that. Like what you're doing in this interview is really great because you're totally listening to what I'm saying and like you're throwing back words at me. So I know I'm getting like positive feedback that you're you're hearing what I'm saying. And that's super interesting. Hold on. Let me just go and throw away this paper I have that I'm looking down at with all the questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, I'm glad it sounds like I'm not, you know, reading off a piece of paper because I am doing exactly what you're saying. I am listening to you talk. This yeah. is why I find interviewing to actually be really mentally exhausting because oh, I it totally am- is. Right. Like I, I am so deeply energetically connected to you right now and listening to every single thing you're saying. But it also requires this mental dexterity. Like I'm thinking about, OK, how does this wrap back around to the whole point of the show? How does this lead to the other stuff I wanted to get to? Exactly. And you do have to have a balance of that. Like when I go into an interview, there's a there's a goal. There's a very fine line that you have to kind of, you have to walk this line of, you want to let this person speak and be truthful to themselves. And just like, you're not supposed to feed them anything. You want to see what they actually come out with. But at the end of the day, you have a goal, you have a story you're trying to get. So you also have to take their hand and lead them. That is a real skill that you have to develop, which by the way, you're doing beautifully. Thank you. You are (laughs) What a compliment coming from you. My gosh. Thank you. (laughs) Sincerely. (laughs) Do you ever get nervous? Yes. Oh, I I get nervous before every shoot, every trip. And I honestly, I hope I always stay nervous because I think being nervous is what keeps you on your toes. I think feeling a little bit too comfortable is my opinion. I'm sure there are other journalists that would say, you don't want to be nervous. But for me, at least it drives me. Being nervous is what makes me want to do better. So I'm, I'm nervous. Yeah, I get nervous before I get I go into interviews all the time. We're working on a new project at Circa called Hashtag Travel. And it is daunting. Oh my gosh, it's so daunting. Like what were the tasks that we've that we're taking on and I'm heading up the whole thing. And I'm freaking nervous about it. But to me, that's a good thing because it's what's motivating me to try harder. What's so daunting about it? Just the scale of the project? The scale of the project and that so much is resting on my shoulders down to the stories how we tell it, the way it's going to look, the way it's going to feel, where we go, who we talk to. I mean, it's it's kind of a vast majority, even though there's a team of people working with me on it, the vast majority of the direction and the final product is sitting on me. And so that's really daunting. I've never taken on a project of this scale before, nor have I worked with a team this large. So it's a totally new challenge. But you know, like I said, I think nervousness 
is a good sign because it means that there's still room for you to grow. That's so, so true. And I find that, you know, you're going to find this nervous and daunting now, rock it, be amazing at it. And then it forces you to grow. These are like your edges right now, leading this huge project, being in charge of a team of people. And it's going to just allow you to step into like a bigger version of yourself. Absolutely. And I think this is important, not just in like my field and in creativity, but just life in general, to always have a goal set, you know, you meet a goal and then you have to set a new one. I think you always have to be striving for something because, and I've said this in some videos and posts and stuff like that, but I think complacency is the death of creativity. And so if you always set new goals for yourself and you're in a constant cycle of reaching and striving, that's where you're going to get the best out of yourself and your creative muscle. So you mentioned the hula dancing video Mm -hmm. that had 4.4 million views on it. I know, I've been crazy. doing some research on you today. Uh, yeah, you have. <laughs> Look at you. You're really you're you're good at this. I'm like, am I a journalist? No. <laughs> <laughs> I would say yes, based well, on this. You. Totally, you are. Uh, you know what I'm realizing is this podcast is such a great storytelling medium. I love it. That's why I yeah. love it because I'm uncovering people that have really interesting stories and journeys to tell about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy that. But anyway, okay, so then you did a video when you were in the country, Georgia, about dancers that perform battle scenes with actual swords. Oh yes. That had 3.1 million views on it. I'm going to have to link these videos too in the show notes just so you guys can see these stories because they are amazing. And you know what I haven't mentioned, I just want to mention really quickly, is that you write, produce, film, mm-hmm. narrate, and edit all these videos as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm involved in every step of the process. It's kind of what's required of journalists today, but it's something that I really love about my work at Circa. They allow me to have that hand. So yeah, I'm in the trenches. I'm doing I'm doing all of it. Your videos are so good. And then you did a video with an Instagram famous vet named Dr. Evan Anton who treats exotic animals. A little video. A little video because that has <laughs> 70 million views on it now. Did you know that? I did not know that. I haven't looked at that video in a while. But I mean, the last time I looked at it, it, it was in the many millions, but I didn't know it's sitting at 70 million. Are you serious? It has 70 million views on it, girl. Oh my <laughs> and- God. Dr. Evan Anton happens to be your fiance. Yes. So how did that? I can't I can't claim credit for the views on that video. I think that's entirely driven by Evan. Evan <laughs> has this ability to just like draw all people from all corners of the earth. He's a really good looking guy. But beyond that, he's a really charismatic person who's really passionate about what he does. And I think that translates in the video. And I think the nature of what he does is so odd and eye catching. And then once you dive into it and you like learn about him and what he does and like his passion behind it, it's kind of just like a win-win in terms of of storytelling and just like online content. It was like the perfect storm of things that made that video go super viral. And now he's like crazy famous. Yes. So when I did that video, he was not super viral. He he wasn't. He he had like a following on Instagram, but he wasn't huge. It was a very small like community that knew him. And then I did that story and I always I tease him now that like. I made him go viral. I'm like, your viralness is because of that one little story we did with Circa. Because it's true. Like after that thing aired and all those millions of views racked up, that then other news agencies started picking it up and then the viral snowball happened. So whether or not it really was me, that video came out around the time just before he went viral. So I'm, I take credit for it now. I'm like, yeah, you're, you can thank me later. 
<laughs> I was totally thinking about that today. Like, because in my view, I'm like, it was totally because of you. And if it was me in your shoes, I would tease him all the time about it. Oh, I do. Oh, I totally do. And the funny thing is that like his whole brand and like what he's doing, we collaborated on that for many years before he even, before he even got to where he is. So I edited his videos for him. I coached him on camera. When I met him, he was a kid still in college and he, he had no knowledge whatsoever of how to deliver into a camera. He had this goal. He knew he wanted to do it. And so I came into his life and like together we worked on it. And then I did that video. So I'm, I'm totally like 50% of your success is, is due to me. <laughs> that is valid. <laughs> That's totally valid. Well, I bring up all these stories with all the numbers attached to them because, I mean, this is just a small fraction of the work that you've done. And the work that you do just connects with people or resonates with people. And it goes back Thank to, you. you know, earlier in the conversation about the intention you have behind your work and why you do the mm-hmm. stories that you do. But I'm curious, do you have an intuition about which stories are going to go viral? Yeah, I do. The hula story, I totally knew that that was going to be a big thing. It's a, it's a very small voice when I hear the story to begin with. But then I really know for sure when I'm in the editing process and I'm physically putting the story together, there's a moment that happens. And I have other creative friends that I've talked to. I don't know if this happens to you, but like there's a stage, there's a moment in the process where like something just kind of gut punches you and, and you yourself kind of feel emotional about it that's when I know that it's going to travel and it's going to connect with people. I always have moments where I kind of like, like with the Hula story, I was editing it and I kind of got teary. Like I kind of got Mm -hmm. emotional and I like, I know the story in and out, but if I get that kind of gut punch, then I, I'm like, okay, if I'm feeling this way and and this is not a new story to me, other people are probably going to feel this way too. That's amazing. And has that into, I mean, your intuition has been pretty correct. Yeah, it's been pretty correct. I mean, to varying degrees, I could never have guessed that Evan's video was going to go viral to that degree, but I knew it was going to do, I knew it was going to do well. So similarly with the Georgian dancer video and the story behind that video is a really interesting story. But when that was in editing and I was watching, that's a totally visual driven story. And I was getting goosebumps watching that, that story. And, and I, and I was in the room filming those people with my colleagues and in the edit bay, like post, like many weeks after that, I was getting goosebumps. And so that was, that's one of those moments where I'm like, if I'm getting goosebumps and I know the story and I saw it and this is not news to me, this is going to resonate with people. Wow. You know, I often make work that I love and gives me goosebumps. And sometimes it's not the work that other people love. Have you ever experienced that? Like, are, are this, is it always the stories you love the most that go viral? Or are there stories that you really particularly resonate with that other people don't seem to? I think it's half and half. There are definitely, definitely stories that I care deeply about. And I'm throwing my heart and soul into it. And it goes out there. And it just, it just doesn't have the same grab that it does on other people that it had on me. It happens a lot, actually. But I guess that's kind of the territory. Like online content, there's so much out there. There's so much online content out there that it's just not going to resonate with everybody. And I I like to use Instagram as the example of this because it's such a great breeding ground for this kind of stuff. But like when when I go on Instagram and I put up a post that's something about a culture or a person that deeply moves me, it gets whatever, it gets a small, it gets a small reaction, fine. But then I go on there and I put up like a bikini picture 
and it just gets tenfold the amount of likes and attention and engagement, the same thing happens with stories. So mm -hmm. stories that sometimes I've got throw, quote unquote throwaway stories that I have to do. They perform extremely well and travel really far and gets a lot of engagement and people are talking about it and excited. And I'm like, what? Why that story? Like, I think I did a story about like a cat sanctuary, which was really cute and quirky and funny. And I, I enjoyed putting it together, but I wasn't necessarily passionate about it. But it went up online and just like did gangbusters. Like people loved that story. And then a few weeks later, I put out a story about this Japanese family and like the significance of cherry blossom season and beautiful imagery from Japan and cherry blossom season. And it just like, I don't want to say it flopped, but like it didn't get even close to the attention that the cat sanctuary did. So it totally happens. Yeah. And I asked this question because I think in a world where we live by likes and how many hearts you yeah. get and how many shares and retweets you get on the work that you put out there, it's so hard not to get your self-worth from that. And it, it's so easy to start pandering and only putting out the work that you feel like is going to get the likes, like the bikini mm -hmm. pictures. You know what I mean? And like I find that too where, you know, I'll put up a post that is really meaningful to me and it doesn't get any in attention. And then I'll put up a post that I don't want to say it's pandering, but it's like the kitten cat sanctuary. Like it's just really freaking cute and people love yeah. it. And I'm trying to build up a resilience to sharing work that I like, even if other people don't like it and it doesn't get that external validation. Yeah, totally. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's hard not to take that personally, right? It really is. It because is. you're like, this is my heart and soul. Like I'm, I'm kind of wearing my heart on my sleeve in this moment. And in a way, it's like it feels like rejection because you're putting yourself out there for what matters to you. Like, you know, you're putting your your photography projects out there that matter to you. I'm putting out stories that matter to you, to me. And it doesn't travel the way we want it to. It's hard not to take that personally because that's you. It's your work. But at the end of the day, I, I really try to remind myself that, like, it's not a personal thing. I think a lot of times it just comes down to exposure. It just maybe doesn't get the exposure that you hope for or that it needs. And also with my work, especially, sometimes people don't want to see the highly produced harsh stuff or like the truth stories. They just want to be entertained mm. in that moment. And that has, it has no bearing on, on you or your creative process or like your judgments or anything like that. But it's super hard not to do that. Because like when you put your heart and soul in something, it becomes a piece of you. And then you feel a little bit of rejection. <laughs> yeah, I, I think just even being aware of this is sort of probably the first step to trying to build up the resilience, like telling yourself, yeah. okay, I'm going to put this out because I love it and I'm going to continue to love it no matter the validation it gets. Exactly. That's a muscle too. You have to exercise that. It is totally a muscle. And speaking of going viral, you know, I think a lot of people in this day and age of content creation, they just make content with the motivation of going viral. If you mm -hmm. Google how to go viral, you literally get 388 million results. What are your thoughts on this? As somebody who has had all these videos go viral, what do you think of that approach to creating work? I mean, listen, if we could answer that question, then everybody would be viral and then it would change the space. Then it would just like not be a, a special thing. But there is no answer to that. We don't have the answer to that. And I think approaching content from that perspective, and it's a, it's a thing that a lot of people do, but I think it's a, it's a fallacy in thought process and I think it hurts the creative process. We don't have the answer to it. So it's like, do you, do the, your work to the best of your ability 
and viral is also relative. So a video that has a million views versus 70 million, you can make the argument for both that they're doing well or viral. I would tell people don't approach content creation from like a, how am I going to make this viral? Because nine times out of 10, you're just not going to do it because there is no answer to that. I think Casey Neistat once did a video about going viral because he's got so many viral videos. And even he Mm. said like, I don't worry about that because there is no one answer. No one knows the answer. Viral by nature is kind of luck of the draw. But the one constant between viral videos is that they're blowing the lid off of something that people are A, not talking about or telling a story in a really unique way. And there's passion behind it. I would Mm. say those are the, the three constants. The other things that go into the making of a viral video, we can't outline them. So as long as you you have stories that are unique in their approach, put together with passion and visually appealing, it's a visual world. If you've got those elements, then you'll at least have a good story. And in the best case scenario, it'll go viral. And everything you just said completely ties into why your work is so viewed by so many people. There is this really deep passion and honesty, I think, in the work that you create. And I've also noticed online, you are very honest too, like with your Instagram followers and on your Facebook Mm -hmm. page. And I want to share something that you shared. You said a few years ago that you had a year of tremendous growth and you can't Mm -hmm. think of any period of time when you grew as much as you did that year. On purpose, you shook things up, forced yourself way, way past your comfort zones, conquered a lot of fears, and proved to yourself that you're more capable than you ever gave yourself credit for. I am so curious about this moment in your life. Can you talk to us about this? What did you do to go past your comfort zone and what were these fears that you overcame? So there were some things happening in my personal life that I was terrified to confront and I finally did. It was a real learning moment where I didn't think that I could stand up on my own two feet as an independent person. And that's the whole shaking things up part. I had to shake things up in my personal life to prove to myself that I don't need to rely on any person to validate me. And I got that answer. I mean, back in spades, like I I grew my confidence in that year a lot. And one of the other things in terms of conquering my fear and also just, again, standing up on my own two feet was I solo traveled twice, which I had never done before. But it's such a huge trend in travel. And I kind of was like, what's this appeal about? How would I do it? I was curious about how I would stand up to the challenge of it. So I went to Spain by myself and I went to New Zealand by myself. And those two things were huge growth moments for me because you have to rely on yourself. There's no one else with you that can like pick up the slack or problem solve. You really have to like trust yourself to do those things. So those are my real like confronting fear moments. And then just in terms of in work and the stories that I take on and not being intimidated to take on stories that seemed bigger than me. Like sometimes I would shy away from stories that I thought were beyond me. Like, oh, I can't do this because I don't have like the skills or the team or the whatever. And I decided to just say yes to all those opportunities that came to me and just see what happens. Like if I don't say no to anything, which is a technique that a lot of people have tried, just like leaning into the yes. Shonda Rhimes, I think, wrote a book about that, didn't she? Yeah. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think that's where I got the idea from, honestly. It was (laughs) just like, okay, this year I'm like, I'm making all these changes in my personal life. You know, let's do the same thing and work. Like, let's just say yes. Let's say yes to the stories that come across my table that seem too big for me. The things that I would have said to myself, like, that's biting off more than you can chew. 
in the past, I would have not gone there or done that. But I actually this time did them and like focused on them and tried it. I ended up proving myself wrong every time that I would say yes to something that previously I would have said no to been intimidated by. And in that exercise of just putting myself out there emotionally and creatively and professionally, I mean, I even asked for like, for the first time I went to my boss and like asked for a raise and asked for promotion. That was terrifying, especially for women. That's a hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was like those exercises of like, these are the things I want in my life. I want to be independent. I want to be a good journalist. I want to be able to provide for myself and be a person that can stand on her own two feet. How, what do I need to do to get there? And then just I attacked all of them one by one throughout the whole year. I really appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability in sharing that because everything you said is just wisdom. It's so truthful. Thank you. Thank you. And I I'm curious too, was it your solo traveling that you came back and it led you to being stronger at work? Yeah, I think so. I think testing my limits that way and coming out the other side just made me feel stronger overall. Yeah, I think it definitely boosted my confidence to the point that I was able to just be more grounded at work. There is such a strong connection between doing your work on the insides and it leads you to do better work on the outside. So I think what you just shared totally. is just such a great example of that. I also saw online, you had shared that when you were working at that first job in Dayton, Ohio, you shared with people then that one day you'd be telling stories all around the world and they were very patronizing and just were like, yeah, okay, we'll see. Yeah. And like you did it. <laughs> you literally yeah. are living the dream that you decided many, many yeah. years ago when you were in Ohio. And similarly, your fiance, Evan, you touched on this a little bit, but you shared on Instagram that he declared 13 years ago that he would have his own show on Animal Planet someday. Mm -hmm. And he did that because his show is debuting next month. So yeah. what is the secret to making this happen? I feel like you talked about this a little bit already, but let's just get really specific. What advice do you have for those that have a dream and want to manifest it the way you guys have? Okay, well, you just said the word manifest, right? So without consciously like saying to myself, I'm going to manifest this stuff, or Evan didn't say that to himself either. But it is essentially what we did is that we manifest. And the way you manifest is by being super clear about what you want. And when I say clear, I mean, like, don't just say you want to be a journalist. Say you want to be a journalist and you want to, who do you want to work for? What does your job look like? How much money are you making down to the dollar? very specific. I'll use Evan as an example here. He did tell me when we met, we met on a cruise ship like 13 years ago. Is that how you guys met? <laughs> yeah, on a cruise ship. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so and he told me in that very first conversation, I want to be like Steve Irwin, but I want to be my version of Steve Irwin. And my version is veterinary medicine that's applied all over the world to animals who are usually overlooked or wouldn't get veterinary medicine. And I wanted to be on Animal Planet. And he was so specific about it. And 13 years later, I mean, he said other things about the show and like what it looks like and feels like. And it is exactly like what, if you guys tune in when the show premieres on Animal Planet, every little thing about that show, down to the way it's edited, down to the way it's shot, the fact that it's living on Animal Planet, it is exactly what he said he wanted to do. And looking at my story, I manifested a lot of what I'm doing now because I wrote it on paper and kept very specific goals. Actually, working at KFMB in San Diego was a, a manifesting moment for me also because I had, when I graduated college, written on a piece of paper all the stations 
that I would like to work for. And KFMB was the first station on my list. And lo and behold, after Dayton, that's where I got a job offer was KFMB. So it's like, be super specific. There's no such thing as being too specific in crafting your goals down to every detail, period. Every little minutia, have that defined. That's how you get manifesting in motion. Oh, I just got chills listening to you talk about that. And I want to add on that because I am very similar to the both of you guys. And I take it a step further and you probably do this too, where I embody that. I feel it. So it's not just a mental thing like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be doing this. It's Mm -hmm. I feel like I am that person already doing those things. And I think that's really important because if those things make you uncomfortable, you have to not be uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes dreaming really big is scary and makes you uncomfortable. And so when you have such really clear goals in mind, it's so helpful to have that goal and be as big of the person as you want to be and also get comfortable with feeling like you're already that person. I feel like that gets the manifesting going a lot faster. Yes. I think that also speaks to like the fake it till you make it part. Totally. Part of my story where I was like telling people that I was a travel journalist, that was an uncomfortable thing to say in the beginning because I felt silly saying it because it wasn't 100% true, but I kept saying it until I believed it myself. And only when I believed it myself and I felt that it was true and I embodied that to exactly to your point, that's when everything started to fall into place for me. Oh, so good. I only have a couple more questions for you because I've already sure. taken up so much of your time. But <laughs> Totally good. I'm enjoying the- this so much. Oh, me too. Gosh, I feel like I've learned so much about you that I didn't know. And I'm like, God, I love her. She's amazing. What specific advice do you have for people who are interested in storytelling through videos the way you do? Specific advice would be hone your craft. Get really good at all aspects of storytelling. Don't simply be talent. Don't simply be editing. Don't simply be producing. Know all aspects of storytelling because every element of storytelling is important. You take out the understanding of how to weave in music to storytelling. You take out the element of how to properly develop a story. The story can fall flat. So I would say hone the craft, be good at everything and understand every single aspect of the storytelling process and be good at all of it, number one. And number two, find your voice. Don't simply copy other people that you admire. I mean, it's good to have inspiration. And I would say find people that you admire, but only take it as inspiration and do your own thing with it. How do you want to tell the story? How do you want to focus the story? You got to ask yourself those questions and that's how you'll find your voice in the practicing of the storytelling process. That's such good advice. There's actually somebody in my Facebook group who asked that question. So I think that was really helpful. And it also helps to know that, you know, you're doing this. Yes, you, you work for a company, but like you just said, you know every aspect of how to tell the story. You've taught yourself how to do it. And mm-hmm. I know for her, her concern is that she's by herself. And I feel like you are so inspirational because you demonstrate that it is so completely possible to do everything by yourself and still come up with something that's really compelling and interesting yeah. for other people. How do you want people to remember this episode with you? I hope that people get inspiration from this. You know, when I was starting out, I would have loved to hear 
something like this. It probably was out there, but I didn't come across anything like that. And so I felt like I had to motivate myself a lot, but it would have been so nice to have something like this to kind of like give me that kick in the pants and just give me that like extra little supercharge of confidence knowing that there is a way to make this stuff happen for yourself. I hope that's what people come out of this having gained some kind of confidence that like, if you want it, you can totally do it. Other people have done it. And it's just about motivating yourself to just go after the things that you want. Oh, Natalie, I have the biggest smile on my face. This interview has been so much fun and you have said some awesome things on the show. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad we had this chat and thank you for giving me the platform to tell my story and hopefully inspire other people. I really appreciate that. And by the way, how did it feel being on the, on the other side, actually being interviewed this time instead of doing the interviewing? Oh my gosh, it was so much fun. I actually <laughs> loved it. And this is like, it's great because it, it helps. It's going to help me in my interviewing process too. It's like, I'm not on this side so very often. So this is, this was like fun and eye-opening. You killed it. Like you're stellar at this. But like, <laughs> I walked away with some tips, you know? <laughs> Thank you so much, Natalie. Of course. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review the show on iTunes and share it with a friend. Don't be shy. Reach out to me anytime online and I will catch you next week on the next episode. 